Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Friday afternoon, February 4th, 2022. Little live recording lunch hour situation here. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz, who just spent the week in Mobile, Alabama, and is uh, here to give some thoughts on the Senior Bowl uh, and, you know, all, all the uh, all the goings on this week. A little bit of an eventful week for early February for the Ravens. Uh, how's it going, pal? Doing well. I am pretty tired, but... I'm uh, ready to get into the the deep, the deep, deep darkness of draft season now. This is the kickoff of draft season, and it's just fun because the Senior Bowl. And it was funny because Eric DaCosta kind of said something in his little in his little Dunkin' Donuts Coca Cola video um, about how I always feel like everyone starts asking a lot of draft questions early on, and I'm like, I like to wait till the Senior Bowl because for me, the Senior Bowl gives you a lot of context on film. And the likelihood of watching like any game of any prospect, there will probably be one, two, three guys that were at the Senior Bowl on the field um, in any, especially like Power Five games, you know, any any big FBS games. So it starts to add some context, and it just gives you like you, you it feels like you get a couple layers deeper into the onion uh, before you really start trying to dive into individual scouting reports and stuff. So I'm excited. It was a it was a fun week. I wouldn't the the edge rushers down there, the defensive line in general were were pretty dominant overall. I'd say they stole the show for the most part. Uh, this is going to be a really deep class. There's a lot of juniors as well, guys that weren't there. Karloftis, Ojabo, you know, the main guys at the top, a couple more littered throughout. So I'd say they definitely stole the show, but it was a good week. It was a rainy week. It's been crappy weather everywhere. I know Texas is all binded up in an ice storm, and uh, the the good old boys PFT commenter and Billy Football are driving through, driving through the old Tennessee and uh, had a little ice storm of their own. So I... I'm excited. I'm excited for draft season to kick off. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's peak crap weather here. And we were talking about that a little bit uh, before we got going. Uh, start a new job in like a couple weeks. So I'm like kind of just like bumming around and being a, a huge uh, POS, which has been great. But uh, it will be nice to nice to be able to get out and enjoy some, uh, uh, you know, some unseasonably warm weather. So I think we're supposed to get some of that uh, in the openings of next week. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's that's not really what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about 
you mentioned the Senior Bowl down in Mobile uh, and EDC doing his little videos. He did a press conference today, this morning at 10 a.m. Uh, so we'll, we'll be getting to that, obviously. But uh, we did want to touch on your week down at the Senior Bowl. So I think we uh, we had some prospects definitely circled on our radar already going into it. I think Daniel Falele is kind of the big name that everyone was talking about. But uh, you, you've been uh, you know talking about some other guys, Jermaine Johnson and and whatnot. So what is kind of your first overall takeaway from what you saw? Just your overarching kind of main takeaway from the week that you'd like to get across to everyone. Like I said, the, there are ballers at the edge and defensive line uh, groups on both both the American and the national team. So really, it was it was thick all the way through. There's even guys like Cam Thomas out of San Diego State who didn't compete. Uh, they end up bringing in Sam Williams, who was a five-star, incredible athlete from Ole Miss, and he had a couple really like eye-popping reps. There's guys like D'Angelo Malone, Western Kentucky. Um, that you know, D'Angelo Malone's just there's a ton of explosion. Uh, Arnold Abiketti out of Penn State, um, his his teammate. Uh, Lucchetti, Jesse Lucchetti out of also out of Penn State, obviously, if his teammate, but uh, both of those guys super explosive. It was just from top to bottom, guys winning reps in really impressive fashion consistently that were, were stealing the show. The interior defensive line group, Oklahoma's Perion Winfrey has like 36 inch arms, he's 300 pounds, super explosive off the, explosive off the snap. Um, Atito Agbana, who is like a 300, he, he's 326 pounds, looks like he's an edge rusher. And just an absolute load. He's still very raw, you can tell, but makes plays against the run. Very explosive pass rusher consistently. I mean, Jermaine Johnson, for me, if the Ravens took him at 14, like I, I tweeted it, the Ravens could do a lot worse at 14 than Jermaine Johnson. He won every like every rep in team, in one-on-ones, in like the, the hold the edge, kind of reach block situation, one-on-ones. He was winning ev- like every, literally every, Every single rep looked insane. Inside spins, outside spins, hand swipes, speed rips, speed swipes. His bull rush was crazy. Speed to power was crazy. Everything. And he's he's stout against the run as well. So he, I mean, he really stole the sh- stole the show uh overall. Then Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia, a guy who is a first round talented player, had had a weird, you know, off the field incident uh, in 2020. I don't think he ever spent any time away from the team or anything from it, but uh, something to everyone will dig into, I'm sure. And him and Travis Jones, awesome. I mean, both guys that can be a, a one tech third down pass rusher for you. Travis Jones, everyone says he's like not, you know, great against the run, things like that. There's room to improve there. I, I think that's a little hyperbolic, but both of those, I mean, Travis Jones was throwing clubs and counters and just annihilating some really good interior offensive linemen. He was a load. And it's more, it's really impressive for the interior defensive linemen because there's a whole squad of offensive linemen on both teams, but there's usually only like two or three. Sometimes guys get hurt or, you know, end up backing out of the week or something. There's only like two, three, maybe four interior defensive linemen. So when they're taking these reps, you know, it's, it's a fresh offensive lineman and obviously, you know, being whatever, but the, the stamina is impressive. And Travis Jones ended up taking a ton of reps, I think on Wednesday and Thursday in those situations and just continuously was finding answers when guys beat him off the snap or or he was tired out a little bit. He continued to work. I think he was really impressive. Someone who's going to make an impact in the NFL. I mean, Boye Mafia out of Minnesota, uh, Daniel Flaley's teammate. He was explosive, winning the edge, getting sacks, you know, has inside outside moves, maybe not enough of a uh, bull rusher, but man, they really stole the show. I think there's going to be 
it's it's early, but I I wouldn't be surprised to see like ten edge rushers taken in the first like sixty five picks or something like that. It is a loaded group. It was a loaded group in Mobile. They gave these uh you know these offensive linemen a run for their money. There was a lot of good, a lot of bad from the offensive line, but uh, I think I would say that overall, this they stole the show, and this class is loaded with pass rushers. So who are you walking away with thinking is realistic options at fourteen, which I think is going to be everyone's sort of main concern here. Um, out of the senior bowl, I would say the only guy there worth worth any consideration is Jermaine Johnson. Trevor Penning is interesting. I mean, he obviously was making, you know, made a name for himself, being tenacious and fist fighting everybody every single rep, getting guys pissed off all week, which uh, is something that I think a lot of Ravens fans and the Ravens in general need that tenaciousness, that finishing aspect, something they've lacked for a long time, especially along the offensive line. Marshall Yonda, especially, you know, since he uh, retired. He was older anyway. He was a little more like that a little bit earlier in his career. Not that he fell off or anything, but uh, was a little more nasty early in his career, I'd say. And Ryan Jensen leaves in free agency, so they've just really lacked that. But I think he's just a little, little rich for my blood at 14. He's a little bit stiff. Uh, I think he'll be a, a good, a solid starter, but I feel like at 14, there's just going to be a, a lot of chances to find more of a true impact player that's a little more consistent. Uh, I think Penning would be a nice right tackle, but I think those are really the only two guys from Mobile that are in consideration right now. Um, and, and Johnson, like I said, you know, him, Ajabo, you can talk about some corners, maybe one of the top three tackles falls, um, you know, whatever. We'll see how free agency plays out. But uh, I think that he's really the only guy from Mobile that makes that big of a difference. Yeah, DaCosta, it's interesting. He mentioned, you know, he, he does his little videos and he's talking about his prospect on some of the prospects on his first day. And he mentions Falele as a guy who will be available within the first three rounds is how he phrased it. So we've talked about like how his testing is maybe going to push him up the board as far as the combine goes. But uh, if he would be available like within the, you know, first two, even let's say, maybe you uh, package some picks and move up or something like that, it might be ideal to just sort of a lot of people are talking about this too, like target a pass rusher or a safety if somebody like a Hamilton falls and then maybe go for that tackle uh, option in the second round or, you know, something like that if one of these guys continues to fall. So it seems like the approaches are maybe opening up a little bit, whereas people were sort of, and myself maybe included, were sort of insistent on offensive line in the first round. But uh, it's uh, it's the way this process always goes. So it's interesting to see it kick off and uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of free agent offensive linemen. I mean, some of them will get re-signed, obviously, but there's even guys like Morgan Moses and some some you know older kind of journeyman capable starters. So the Ravens tend to, you know, DaCosta's Ravens, it feels like, tend to, or DaCosta himself tends to try to fill all the needs in free agency so that they don't need to draft anything. Uh, Patrick Queen, I think, is probably the the outlier of that. But uh, yeah, so ultimately, we shall see. Philele, to me, you could t- you can just tell. I think there's so much context, and I've been a little hyper fixated on him very early um, in this process. But you can tell he's trying new things and is learning and growing and applying them. And I think one of the most telltale things of watching the tape and realizing what his week was like in Mobile, which got a lot better each day. But his go to his hundred mile an hour fastball as a pitcher, so to speak, is a snatch. Is a guy tries to shock his pads. He uses his freaking meat hooks to just wallop down on top of you and slam you into the ground. I made a cut up in, I watched three games of his. Only one of them was in 2021. And I made like a two minute cut up of him snatching guys, hashtag master snatcher. And um, he, he, he did, didn't did try that once in Mobile. What'd you say? Did they sneak a snook up his snooze? They snuck a sneak up a snooze. Um, but yeah, they, he, he didn't try that at all. 
So it was a lot of vertical sets. He was he was never quick setting guys, which is something that he was great at. So um, you know he has, has a couple. He fought, gets spun on by Majay Sanders day one, gets put on his butt, and Jeff, the Jeff Schwartz is being big isn't a skill. Blah 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 blah. blah. Like, look at Jordan Mailata. Look at even, like, an Adafe Owe. Like, they grow so much so quickly. And when you realize that he's a knee bender, that he has these beautiful kick, kick slides out of his stance and is working on things, um, it just shows that he is coachable, that he is athletic as hell and is a rare and unique athlete. And drafting aliens, like, look at the Dallas Cowboys defense that did so well this past year. Draft aliens. Draft guys that have unique skill sets and are excellent at a couple of things and you'll be able to fill in the blanks around it. And I think you can prosper. So um, I, I would be pretty floored to see him last into like the middle of the third round. I, I don't know. Uh, I think the potential for him is so insanely high. And I think that he is a day one impact run blocker. Like day one is going to pave the way for whatever team and whatever concepts he can down block. He's great in, uh, in reaching in zone block concepts. So I think immediately you can plug him in there. You can help him and hide him a little bit with some play action, but a tight end over there, you're not going to ask him to vertical set in games all the time immediately. Um, but, you know, he has some similarities to Orlando Brown to me. Uh, he was on his heels a little bit too much. He got his feet crossed a couple times. It felt like trying to uh, kick, take a vertical set and then try and like attack from there. And he was like on his heels trying to transition. And that's when he gave his chest up a couple times, but definitely had some really, 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 impressive reps and just feels like someone who's going to grow so quickly. And uh, he's just a perfect fit for the Ravens. Like for what they do, have it being heavy in the RPO run game, the play action pass game factors that are always going to be a part of a Lamar Jackson offense because of how dangerous his legs are, whether he's running the ball or not, that's going to bode very well for Philele. And the other thing about him is that when you watch a full game of Philele, he, he wears dudes down they will come in like someone will sub in or switch sides or something uh, like the Ohio state game. For instance, I watched uh, Tyreek Smith came in first snap against him. I think it was like second or third quarter and shocks him, gets him into the backfield a little bit wins is pumped up afterwards. And like 10 plays later, he is huffing and puffing, getting moved five yards off the ball going up against him for four quarters is a, a absolute chore. So I think there's a lot of context to him. I think he's a really exciting player. If he lasts till the third round, uh, Sure. I mean, hell yeah. But I, I just, it would be crazy to me. And especially when you're, we talk about like a guy like Malik Willis, who had such a rise this week and a lot of people have been high on anyway. And it's like, oh, well, draft him for what he can do. And he's got these crazy tools. And then people are like, oh, you know, flailing, blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing. Like he has incredible, incredible, incredible tools. He ran down a DB 15 yards downfield, put him in the dirt. Um, and it's funny because he's not even like a, like Penning is this fierce, nasty finisher. But Falele is like not, but he still puts guys on their ass all the time. Yeah, you mentioned the anchor and maybe some of the issues against power, certainly. But like, you know, talking about like him going up against speed and he was one of the first guys that I watched uh, back in the fall. Like, so even a couple months ago at this point, you know, he was one of the first guys that really caught my eye. And it's just like the size is like, you know, that's sort of what jumped off the page to me when I was reading up on some of these prospects. And like, that's what brought me to him and just watching him. It's like. He uses his size against finesse in a way where it's like, oh, you want to like try and, you know, go speed around me? Well, I'm just going to like expand my like wingspan here and you're just not going to get around me. Like it's just not going to happen. So like I love that about him. I do love the uh, the run game. He has pretty good feet for a dude that big. So, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely circled on my radar there. And uh, I think we got prospects Providence here saying he's not making it to the third round. A team is 
just going to grab him in the second if he's there, even if he's just like viewed as a project or whatever. And I think that's probably a good, a good take. Um, but I mean, yeah, we've talked about all these picks that they have in the fourth. I mean, if you want to get some impact guys in the draft and we saw them do it in 2018, we saw them do it last year, jumping up to get guys that they think are going to be impact. And they seem to be fixated on the idea of drafting offense the last, uh, last couple of years. Obviously there's a few exceptions to that rule, but uh, yeah, he's, He's a guy I'd be looking at. I certainly need to go and watch Penning uh, by the sound of it. But, uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of options on the board, and a couple of them were down there that uh, you were getting a good close look at this week. Yeah, in terms of other offensive linemen, I really like Jamari Saylor out of Georgia. He played left tackle for them. Uh, this year he can play right tackle. He can play left guard. He can play right guard. He has good length. He's a little shorter, so he's I think he's a hair under 6'3". I think he measured out at the senior bowl. I, I think the combine measurements are a little more strict and rigid um so we'll see what what happens with that but his arm length is great uh he, he's a little like he has a stiffness to him that i'm sure will get exposed to a degree in the nfl against like some maybe some premier guys but watching his tape and then watching what he did in mobile he just wins every rep like every rep he's super patient his quiet feet his good length and consistently wins wherever you put him uh, so i was really impressed by him as well um uh, there's another gentleman dylan parham out of Memphis, played a lot of center this week, really just anchored and anchored and anchored, had some nice reach blocks. I think he had a really strong week. He's one to watch out for. I think he could be a, an early starter in the NFL at center. Um, and then on the other side of the football, Cole Strange, who ADC mentioned, um, went to war, man, went to war a lot, had some really nice stuff in team drills and went up against this really stout, you know, uh, the really, really, really stout um, American national team interior defensive line, which was Travis Jones, Logan Hall, um, Haskell Garrett, you know, Perry, Perry on Winifrey and a bunch of these guys, Otito Ogbana and, and held his own can a ton. Wears number 69 has a bar down the middle of his face mask. His nice feet is a, his really heavy, consistent hands. Um, him and Zion Johnson were, were very impressive. Uh, Zion Johnson took his first snaps at center this week. And ended up, you know, you watched him grow tremendously at center over three days. And I don't think he's a center. I think you put him at guard and he can be a Pro Bowl caliber player there. Uh, I saw like a Lakin Tomlinson 49ers comp for him or someone. I, I like that. I think he's he's got a little more upside than that. He's a little, little sturdier, but uh, incredible feet, you know, vice grip mitts and watching those guys. The beauty of the senior bowl in these one-on-ones and like one-on-ones are a part of the game, but they're also not, I mean, it, when you're actually in a pass rush situation or a pass pro situation, like guys are around you, they're stunts and they, they do some of that stuff too in drills. But these one-on-ones like are, are just two massive elephants locking horns, like going all out at it. And there's a, a lot of uh, back and forth. There's good hustle, like back to the line. Um, Those feel like just Oklahoma drills to me a little bit, which is yeah, fine. It's, it's, like it's just mano a mano and uh, demonstrating what you can do how you can counter. And that's why I think Travis Jones was so impressive because he consistently big dude, you know, six, three, six, four, three, three thirty ish. And was able to just keep working through losing initially when he did lose and able to refit his hands, have a swipe or have a chop and then club somebody off of him and, and judo toss people and forklift people and all this cool stuff. So it, it's really just like a rare thing. It's, it's like sumo wrestling. Like it's, it's just sick to watch. It's so sick to watch. It is cool. It's a bunch of young studs just working hard at their craft. And uh, it's uh, great to tune in from uh, afar. I'm sure it's a ton of fun to be a part of. Uh, so any other any other takeaways from being down there at the Senior Bowl, as uh, EDC would say? A lot, of, a lot of good tight ends. Trey McBride's not 
this like twitched up dude, but blocks his ass off. Great hands, great feel for for coverage, and uh, is, is going to be a, I think a quarterback's best friend. I can see it's a little little, little bit smaller ish. He's not you know a six five six six two sixty guy, but can see him definitely being a successful big slide. Kind of reminds you of like somewhere between like a Mike Gesicki and a, and a Dallas Goddard. I think he's a Dallas Goddard type blocker and kind of like a Mike Gesicki type pass catcher. He's not as big and long and like as as much of a size matchup problem, but I think he's a little more nuanced in some of the things he does. Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State uh, was really nice. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State. Jake Ferg. I mean, tight ends are stacked and loaded, and I think we're going to see a lot of these guys like round two, round three, fly off the board. Um, they were super impressive. In terms of DBs, I'd say uh, there's, there's just a lot of like really – Really feisty dudes were down there this week. Um, obviously, Jalen Petrie, who I've talked about on this podcast before, he had a really strong week. He's that that nickel that's going to be a, a dog for you. But some other guys, I mean, EDC mentioned Elante Taylor. He is big, long, patient, and also a fire starter in terms of like playing through screen blocks, blowing guys up, hit-sticking dudes. Um, he was really impressive. I thought that he is 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 a player who's going to end up being like um, shoot. I just thought of the comp earlier. Uh, damn it, Ambry Thomas, who was started for the 49ers this year. Last year goes to the Senior Bowl. You know, makes some nice plays. A little little bit maybe more gifted than Ambry Thomas, but he, I feel like he's just going to end up starting by the second half of his rookie season and uh, finding his way into a, a starting lineup there. So he was impressive. Tariq Woolen out of UTSA, six four wide receiver convert that just has such fluidity in his hips. He was super impressive as well. Um, so DBs, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of dogs down there. Mario Goodrich out of Clemson had some nice reps. Roger McCreary, uh, great hips. He played really well. It, it was, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. The wide receiver group was not, there were some nice players like Christian Watson at North Dakota state was a really unique mover. I think he's going to be a factor uh, as a rookie catching some passes, but it was just a little bit of a strange group kind of, um, so the, that, those battles, I don't think really stole the show. Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama, uh, was, was pretty prolific. The one guy I will say probably Calvin Austin out of Memphis, uh, I think he's five, eight, one, one ninety, and just flaw, launched past dudes at the line of scrimmage really blew by guys. So I think he's going to be a, a factor early on as well. So that was uh, about all I had. I mean, the quarterbacks were, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to evaluate quarterback play there for me. I don't know. Malik Willis, you could tell, was doing some really special things. But every guy has their moments. Every guy is their, their kind of bad plays. Kenny Pickett had some really down moments, but some nice throws as well. It's just weird trying to judge guys there off of a couple of days. I think the interviews and their willingness to try new things is something that uh, like scouts can pick up on a little bit more so from having more conversations with those guys. But I, I definitely do think Malik Willis is going to end up getting taken ahead of the Ravens pick. Yeah, I think that's part of what, launched Baker Mayfield stock into a new stratosphere was going there and kind of showing out and really impressing teams and the Browns wind up falling in love with him. And, uh, well, there's maybe some buyer's remorse on that, but you know, if you, you, you're talking about a toolsy guy like Willis, I think you made a Josh Allen comparison on Glenn Clark radio today. Um, that's, that's interesting. I'm going to have to go check him out. I haven't really watched a ton of them yet. I wasn't, you know, tuning into Liberty every Saturday, admittedly. So, uh, I'll have to take a look, but, uh, all very exciting things. Um, is that all we got from Mobile? Yeah, that, that wraps it up. Well, I'm, I'm on Twitter talking about all that stuff, so we can uh, we can get into some EDC talk.
We can. We can also, I, I, we didn't really talk about the Mike McDonald presser. I'm not sure if you tuned into that, but it was pretty, you know, it was just kind of very introductory handshake Stop. slap on the back kind of stuff. And uh, it was good though. I think uh, I liked what he had to say talking about uh, kind of maintaining aggression uh, with the defense after Wink leaves. A lot of people are talking about how it can maybe be a little more conservative. I tend to believe that it will, uh, and it'll look maybe a little bit more like what we saw from Michigan this past year. But uh, any takeaways from uh, Mikey Mack, Mike McD, meeting with the media? Yeah, I think that that aggression comment, I think people like heard the first sentence and then didn't listen to what followed it enough. A lot of okays. A lot of okays. But that sentence if you ask any defensive coordinator if they're going to be aggressive, what is their answer going to be? Yes. Every single time they're going to tell you they're going to be aggressive. But he immediately followed that up by saying, but that that what is aggression and that looks different in different ways, something along those lines. And his version of being aggressive was being aggressive in terms of disguising coverage, which the Ravens always do. So um, his big thing is just being multiple, being able to play too high, single high, you know, uh, being able to, run two high shells in the middle of the field, close coverages and all that stuff and able to give different looks. We've seen him run a four, three, we've seen him run a three, four. We've seen him run a lot of dime. We've seen him run a six man front, all those different kinds of things. So he's going to be able to, to deploy this defense to successfully navigate looks that will, will be to the disadvantage or the weakness of the opposing offense. Um, I think is his big thing is, is being able to be that, and then, I, like I said about Greg Roman, being that flubber, being able to, you know, do it every different which way and be what you need to be any given week, whether, you know, you're playing a high-level veteran quarterback who's going to see through your bullshit and sit back a little bit more so, disguise coverage and all those kinds of things, or go blitz the shit out of a rookie and make them turn the ball over um, a little bit more so. So all those things, he just it just feels nice that, I mean, you see the clips coming out of him, you see the way that he talks to the media. He's He just represents himself very well is a young guy, is, you know, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed, and feels like he's going to be really active on the practice field in terms of engagement and all those kinds of things, which, you know, you can do that and be a really bad football coach still. But it's, it's a nice change of pace, and uh, I think it'll be exciting for a lot of the younger players and someone that they can relate to maybe a different way than Wink, even though everybody seemed to love Wink's, you know, people skills as a, as a coach. So uh, I think it's a good extension. I think the other thing people forget is that he spent a lot of time under Dean Pease's defense too. You know, it wasn't just him under Wink, and his role was lesser, but, you know, he was still coming up through the ranks and hearing the, you know, the message from Dean Pease, a very different defensive coordinator from Wink Martindale. Yeah, definitely, and I think uh, it might be a nice nice melding of the minds there between those two uh, because, you know, people hated on Dean Pease a lot, but he did some good things. I mean, it was uh, his play calling that basically won them a Super Bowl in 2012 at the end there, uh, and, you know, maybe... <laughs> A lot of people making some points about Greg Roman's play calling in that situation, which is uh, very interesting to see and maybe a little bit annoying in some ways, but that is certainly what it is. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to see. I just got done watching some Ojabo before we got going here, and uh, I liked what I saw a lot. I'm not necessarily a defensive guru to be able to tell 100% what's going on as far as the play calling, but it did look like a lot of exotic stuff. I liked all the different ways that Ojabo at least was used, so excited to see how some of these guys get put to use by McDonald in 2022. But yeah, not, not a ton of substance with it. It was just kind of a lot of handshakes, clap on the backs, you know, smile for the camera type stuff, but it was good. Uh, but I guess speaking on a little bit more of an in-depth one, we did have Eric Acosta, who I don't know how the guy did it. He was just down in Mobile, probably having a lot of different conversations, probably a lot of late nights, you know, sloppy steaks with the boys at whatever, uh, you know, steakhouse of choice they have there in Mobile. He talked about getting crab cakes, uh, and talked about his prospects in those videos, but then he gets back up here to Baltimore, suited and booted for a press conference this morning at 10 a.m. 
Uh, I'm sure we both watched this live. I'm sure everyone listening uh, has watched it. Uh, but some interesting points. Uh, first one here, going off what our boy Dustin wrote in the Slack chat. Uh, he expects Marcus Peters to be back. So he doesn't expound really upon how or what the uh, vehicle is going to be to get him back onto the roster, whether that means a different salary, whether it means, you know, kind of tearing up his current contract. I don't know what, you know, that's necessarily going to look like. He didn't really expand on it, like I said, but it sounds like Marcus Peters going to be back, which echoes what John Harbaugh said, getting two first-round corners back. So, Yeah, and the other thing could be an extension for another year and offer him, you know, $10 million next year and split the cap hit up a little bit. Give yourself a couple extra million of breathing room if you need it. So I think that P- Marcus probably feels very wanted. Uh, I think he didn't feel very wanted before he made it to the Ravens. And because he feels wanted is probably open to helping a little bit. Like when the Raven, I, I don't know. I just feel like the conversations are different than being like, Hey, shithead, you know, get with it or get lost. We're going to give you this you're or you're out of here. It's going to be like, Hey, we're trying to do this. Would you be open to this? And I think that it, it doesn't feel like it's a situation where it's like, if not, you're out of here. It's like, Hey, we're trying to make the team better. I know you love to win, you know, we would love to keep you another year, maybe two, put, you know, they could give him a two year extension or something and have the final year be completely non-guaranteed. I mean, coming off the ACL, he is getting up there in age. I would say he probably plays another guaranteed two seasons. I want to say, unless there's another crazy injury, I would, I would say at least two more years for Peters. So why not throw that on the books and give yourself a little bit more breathing room without needing to make some sort of drastic move that mortgages the future. And you keep a guy around that clearly has like a, very strong relationship and connection with this franchise and uh, with, with the team and the city and all that good stuff. So uh, I think those are all good things. I mean, look at Jimmy Smith, man. I mean, if you, if you get somebody who wants to be here at the cornerback position, that's that smart, they can coach guys up, help create more turnovers, which the you know, he talked about them lacking, then why not, you know, give him a little bit of uh, a, a nice firm handshake for a couple of years in order to get yourself some relief. And I think that would be a, a great Avenue and feels like he's just, chomping at the bit to come back. I mean, those last couple of weeks, he's on the sidelines screaming and stuff. He's probably, you know, feeling a little better in his rehab, starting to be able to move around a little bit. So um, uh, happy all around. It's it's nice to know that Marcus Peters is probably going to be back and making plays. Yeah, definitely. I'm very excited about it. You know how much I love him and the the attitude that he brings and everything like that. And he's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, people kind of talk about how, you know, the Ravens, you know, aren't making, you know, like Voss and some people talk about how they're just not making a, you know, enough all-in moves or whatever you want to say. I mean, that's 100% what Marcus Peters was in 2019. There was no guarantee that they would be able to re-sign him. Maybe he is just this like blue chipper that they collect off the scrap heap to go and make a Super Bowl run. That obviously didn't work out, but, you know, he's still in the picture and I think he should remain in the picture long-term uh, just because of what, you know, everything people that men- people mention with him, with the playmaking ability, with the attitude that he brings, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to bring him back, uh, at a lower salary, but whatever it's going to be, I think he is going to need to be back on this defense because man, you can never have enough cornerbacks and you can never have enough playmakers. And I think to cost mentioned that they needed to, you know, take the football away better. They needed to do a better job with that. And just getting him back onto the field, is going to make you better, uh, in that uh, regard by default. Uh, he also says, next point here, they need to get younger on the D-line. He also mentions here, Dustin didn't write this down, but he mentioned that they're talking to Calais Campbell about trying to bring him back. Uh, I know there's like some speculation that uh, Campbell's going to be joining like NFL Network's coverage, but uh, the around the NFL guys said that he's you know doing that either way, whether he's going to be an active player or not, so I'm not totally sure uh, where his head is at with all that, but talking about getting younger on the D-line, but also wanting to bring Calais Campbell back. 
Yeah, it's it's a weird situation overall with their defensive line. Campbell has that. I mean, he played with Larry Fitzgerald, and he has that same congeniality to him where he's that big, you know, icon leader, Walter Payton man of the year, everything. So he's going to be involved either way. He, lo- he loves the media. He loves, you know, the community and all that good stuff. Loves, loves to talk football and be a big smiling guy that, you know, chops it up with whoever. So uh, it, it's tough. You don't want to lose him. You do want to get younger. It's, I don't know, it's it's a weird area. And drafting someone, I, I don't know who you can draft that is going to come in and, and dominate and you know provide his level of uh, competitive play consistently, being able to take on double teams and things. Brandon Williams also in that same vein, you know, said he'll basically play if they want him to and probably won't play anywhere else, um, a la Jimmy Smith. So weird, very weird. Um if I'm doing, if I'm cutting business up, I'm probably going to bring him back for another year. It depends on what that that number is, I guess. I'm not trying to pay him, you know, twelve million dollars, but I'm sure he's probably not trying to play for three million dollars. So, it's it's weird overall. Derek Wolf, what's going on there? Back surgery hasn't played. A weird situation went down this whole year with him. Pernell McPhee probably gone. Tyus Bowser, Justin Houston, both question marks right now. So. That defensive front is probably going to have a lot of new faces. I would be remiss to think they don't draft someone in the first two days of the draft, uh, possibly two bodies up there, and also looking to add a, a you know a, a perfect place to get a, a, cu- a cut that doesn't count against the comp uh, formula. You know, probably likely going to bring someone in from that avenue and the draft as well. They need to rebuild the trenches on both sides. They need you know many many things. So. We'll see how it pans out. But Clayus Campbell, I think, is better on the Ravens than than them not having him. Yeah, and, you know, it would be great to have him back. I mean, Derek Wolf is on the books either way, so might as well try to get some football out of him in 2022 if you can. Um, and then some of these other guys. You need Washington to step up. I mean, which he, he showed some flashes. You need Matabike to step up, but they are going to be making some additions there, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, getting younger, whether that means – Signing a guy, there's going to be some intriguing options out there. I think, is Von Miller going to hit the market? You know, you got um, uh, Chandler Jones, obviously, is going to be out there. He's going to be costing a pretty penny, obviously. So we'll see what happens. But uh, going to be some intriguing options. So, you know, if they're talking about getting younger, maybe not those guys, but uh, we'll see. Uh, speaking of adding two guys, he talks about wanting to add two offensive linemen. He specifically says that, uh, that that's probably what they're going to be looking at. So, you know, you're going to have some slots open at center right now with Bradley Bozeman probably projected to hit free agency and then obviously at tackle. And then he also, uh, I don't think Dustin wrote this down, but he talked about kind of taking some responsibility for misinterpreting Ronnie Stanley's status a little bit and thinking that they could count on him to come back, uh, you know, fully ready to rock for 2021. And that really bit them hard. And he said he's not going to make that same mistake again. So one way or the other, it sounds like uh, there's maybe still some uncertainty with Ronnie Stanley. And even if there is going to be a little more certainty at some point, it sounds like they're going to be bringing in some backup uh, just in case that they're faced with a similar situation in 2022, which we've been talking about for for a while now, which is nice to hear. Certainly, there's a lot of free agents out there. Um, you know, a lot of them get re-signed, but Cam Robinson out of Jacksonville, well, if they draft a left tackle, I mean, he's gone, it feels like. So if he hits, I mean, he's going to sign somewhere else probably before that. So if, you know, Doug Peterson comes in, they want to try and pair a young franchise left tackle let Cam Robinson get out of there. Um, I think Cam Robinson is a really talented player. He's not a world beater. He's not the most consistent. He's also playing in Jacksonville, which in that offense, the way it's been the last couple of years, I mean, even when they were making their runs, they were not a 
high level offense necessarily. So I think he's someone that could come in and provide a true tackle that I don't know. It's tough. He's 27. You know, someone might pay a one metric butt ton of Boku bucks for him, but Teron Armstead, I mean, Trent Brown, Riley Reeve, Morgan Moses, uh, there's, there's definitely some options to go get a starting caliber, true veteran tackle. And I think that's the way to go because rookies don't play well at offensive tackle along the offensive line in general. Like there are exceptions, you know, top of the first round guys, Tristan Wirfs did and Jedrick Wills and other guys. But the first guy in that class was Andrew Thomas. And he had a rough go of it his rookie year. Uh, everybody called it was shouting from the mountaintops that he was a bust after his first year. Ronnie Stanley, you know, his first year was solid. He wasn't this impact player. So I think bringing in a veteran will alleviate a lot of the uncertainty um, and, and kind of need at the same time, lets you draft a little bit more open. But at the same time, you do want to go get probably two offensive linemen in the draft, especially depending on what happens with Bradley Bozeman. But um, it, it's time to get it over with and try and find some value somewhere. But there are, are definitely, you know, SEC linemen out there. You can probably go bring in and have come play and, get a young player that's ready to go second half of the season, you know, guy like Jamari sailor out of Georgia that has tackle guard versatility. Uh, I think they're going to be bringing in, if not three linemen in the draft, man, I mean, if, if Bradley Bozeman's gone, you need someone to play center. We'll see if they sign someone, but they're probably going to try and get like one of the top three or four centers, I would think in the draft in the first couple rounds. And then, um, go get someone who can play guard and tackle and a true tackle. They need to, to restock, reshuffle. Ben Powers is someone you can save some money by cutting. I think with Ben Cleveland coming through and you also have Tyree Phillips, who was the day one starter, I think it's uh, someone you can maybe afford to, to do away with and and find a replacement in the draft or elsewhere and save a little bit of coin to, uh, to make a move elsewhere in free agency. But uh, I don't know. There's just so much uncertainty overall with this offensive line, and it's going to be that way for quite some time. Yeah, there is. And like, like we've been saying, it's the Stanley thing and it's going to be the Stanley thing. And there's just no way forward uh, where that's going to be like resolved very easily within the next like year, at least, which is unfortunate, I think. But um, I mean, like to put it a little more optimistic spin on it, I mean, like you look back at how uncertain and how unsatisfied everyone, us included, were with the wide receiver position at this time last year. There were options on the table. They went out and, you know, got a couple of them and swung on them big. And, uh, you know, we're feeling a lot better about that position group right now. Similarly, and maybe even more so, there's a lot of really good options, especially with some of these tackles in the draft. There's like at least three or four guys that I would love at 14 at offensive tackle, uh, you know, in the first round. And that's just right now in February. So it could be plenty of options to go and fix it. You know, they'll probably be able to find guys, to your point, this is a, a organization that's able to find guys a la a Kevin Zeitler uh, on the free agency uh, on the free agency heap and maybe not even at, you know, too expensive of a cost that they can plug in and, you know, make look good. So, you know, it, it definitely sucks where they're at, but uh, the fact that they understand that, I think it, you, they were going to understand it by default and they're going to be addressing it. So uh, to hear him say it at least is nice. Uh, he is also anticipating picking up Hollywood Brown's fifth-year option. I think another kind of no-brainer there. Yeah, Hollywood's been great in many ways. It's just it's just difficult, man. I just wish there was a receiver that could break tackles, and it's probably going to end up being Rashad Bateman, hopefully. But 
I don't know. It's just tough. Hollywood Brown's been great. Deep ball tracking, his relationship with Lamar Jackson, the connection they have, all, all good stuff. And DaCosta went so far as to say, you know, he's 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 my baby. He was my first pick. And also said he thinks that's a really good value for Hollywood. Uh, for the, basically like that's underpaying him. So Hollywood might be a raven for a really long time if those if those comments are tried and true. But Hollywood's done a lot of great things, had a lot of great moments, just been some some down moments as well. And hopefully he continues to get better. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see what happens. It would be, uh, I think, at a pretty, pretty cut rate. I think he would, you know, make some money on the open market where he'd hit it. Um, and we'll, we'll see about the fit elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I wish he was more physical and broke tackles and everything like that. But at a certain point, and that point is probably now, you kind of just know what he is, and that's a, a pretty damn good NFL receiver. You know, nothing, you know, too crazy. He's not in that that top tier of guys. Uh, you know, one of whom is going to hit the market in Devontae Adams, which feels incredibly, incredibly strange. But uh, yeah, he's not that, but he is him, and that's a pretty darn good player. So it's good that he's going to be around for 2022 at least. Uh, and then lastly, um, some shuffle along the uh, along the coaching staff uh, as McDonald comes in. So they're going to be parting ways with linebackers coach Rob Ryan, and it came out in uh, the press conference today that they will also not be retaining Drew Wilkins, the outside linebackers coach. Sounds like they're out to one Zachary Orr to maybe interview to come in and take over one of these positions or just be the linebackers coach as a whole. So, uh, you know, kind of uh, interesting news and I think some exciting news for uh, a lot of fans that uh, are, you know, fans of Zach Orr and the work that he's done here in uh, both uh, playing and coaching capacities. Yes, we'll see who uh, Mike McDonald starts to build his own staff with. And as a young coach, you want to see what connections he has and, who he wants, what the type of guys he wants to bring in. But Zach Orr obviously makes a ton of sense. It felt like they were a little upset to lose him for the time being. And someone that just has a special connection to the organization is such a hard worker and feels like he's so dedicated to uh, becoming a standout coach. You know, I, I feel like Zach Orr will ultimately end up getting a college head coaching job by like 2025 at a power five school. That is my, that is my guess. I could see it. And, uh, you know, he just had uh, his brother playing at a pretty high-profile school as well who, you know, came into the league undrafted last year. I'm not totally sure what's going on with him, but maybe there's some college connections he could have made there. Uh, he was down in Jacksonville working with a very prominent uh, college coach last year. Things, you know, kind of went south in that respect. But, uh, yeah, interesting interesting uh, news on the uh, linebacking coach front. We probably should expect some turnover there with a new defensive coordinator coming in, so that's something to watch this space. And then I said lastly there, but I, I kind of buried the lead a little bit. And this is something that he mentioned was the lead. And it's funny that it was the first question because it was the first thing he mentioned in his little video that he thought was going to be the first question. And that is Lamar Jackson's contract status. And he's alluded to the fact that they've had several conversations uh, on that uh, respect, but that they are working at Lamar's pace. Doesn't sound like Jackson is too, he's not in too much of a rush to get anything done right now. Yeah. I mean, he's about to get, 20 some million. Obviously he wants way more than that in the end, but he either way is going to get his first actual payday uh, next year. So he wants much more than that. And if they're working at his pace, then it is what it is. And it feels like there's probably, I don't, I don't know. I don't even care to speculate about this anymore. I hate that we have a quarterback contract situation. I'm just going to say a lot of words about it and none of them are probably going to be accurate over the next, like however, until it's signed, I don't know what's going on. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, unfortunately the kind of kind of the way it works with a lot of these things, and even more so than the last time we were going through something like this with Gil Flacco, where they're talking about, like, like, oh, my God, like $20 million a year? How could he turn down $15 million a year? And now we're talking about, like, something not even in that stratosphere 
which speaks to the way the quarterback position and uh, inflation have evolved since then. It's a, it's a pretty wild situation, but uh, yeah, it just kind of seems like something that there is not going to be anything concrete on that anytime soon, which is kind of weird considering half a year ago, I, I was personally sitting here thinking it was going to be a done deal within like a couple weeks when training camp was starting to roll around. So just kind of is what it is to your point. We're going to have to wait and see. And uh, the one thing I do want to say is that like everyone's like, he doesn't have an agent. He doesn't have an agent. He, he like does have a crew. They're just not licensed through the NFLPA. Like he does have lawyers and have those people and mentors and all that stuff. It's, I don't think he is the one that is like negotiating alone at the table. Like it's not that kind of situation, like something out of a movie or something. He does have people that are just not licensed NFLPA agents. It's like Michael Scott telling Daryl to write at, write down the number he wants and then slide it over to him because that's how it's done in the movies. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, no, you're right about that. That is, uh, he does have, like, a structure in place, which a lot of people don't really realize. It's not, like, him specifically, like... Everyone, him. everyone talks about it like it's him and his mom and that's all that there is. Like, it's him and his mom... And they're these brilliant minds of like legal capacity and not that they're not in their own right, but he's got a team people. He's got a team. Yeah. He's, he's got a, a team. Lamar is uh, working overtime on this, except it sounds like they're not. It sounds like they're kind of just letting the chips fall where they, where they're going to fall, which uh, we'll see how that works out. But uh, that is all I had written down uh, for Eric Tacosta's press conference or Dustin had written down. Thank you for the notes, buddy. Uh, anything else for you from you on this? I don't know. It's just Eric DeCosta is a, a straight, a funny fellow. He's a, he's a unique, unique GM and the way that he does these press conferences and how candid he is and all these things. And he, I mean, he toys the liars launch in and all that. He toys with the media the same as anyone else, but um, knowing that he's like this prankster and whatever. This guy's a little bit different. Exactly. He, he is a little bit different. He's this big prankster and he was so offended, 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 offended at the notion of taking another receiver last year, like all of those things. So he's, he's tongue in cheek all the time. He's candid. I don't know. He's, he's just taking selfie videos in Mobile, Alabama, posting them to the Ravens social media, like Sage Surratt. Like that's the one that always stick out to me. Sage Surratt, I don't know, just in his Dwayne accent. Eskridge. But. Yeah, like no other no other GM is doing this stuff. Like, and I know and he's, like, he's so paced about it and he doesn't blink the entire time. And yeah. his wife is like this lovely angel on social media that like never stirs up any controversy. And is just like this sweet soul and is like very active on Twitter talking about the Ravens all the time. Like I, did, the national media like doesn't know about that. I feel like they don't. That, I mean, and it's, it would probably surprise a lot of them and surprise a lot of other fan bases. And like, it speaks to the family culture that they've built here. And I think, uh, has been instilled in him from being here for the last 25 years or whatever it is. So I think uh, I was talking about this a little bit on Twitter. Like you might not totally love every move that he's made or whatever, but like, he's a good dude. He's a smart dude. And that's something that I think we should all appreciate is how uh, kind of candid he is and how much, you know, fun he's willing to have with you guys as a fan base. He talked about the fan gate fan base and his presser today, uh, you know, kind of thanking them. So it's a, uh, you know, I, maybe we, people think we cape a little bit too hard for them at times, but uh, that's just the fan and me appreciating you know, the fact that this is a pretty unique power structure that uh, that we're dealing with with this organization and they're very open and very, very candid and honest. So uh, it's it was good to hear from him today. I think he did a nice job. 
And uh, I, I love the videos, of course. They, you know, it was kind of, it's funny because like they were not, they were, it was like a novel thing a couple years ago. Now it's becoming like a, a tradition for him to go down there and do all his little Dunkin' Donuts, Coca-Cola videos. They're, they're, he always has like a funny little quip about eating crab cakes and the ones in Maryland are a first round talent. And then he says that during the draft, his internet went out because his sons were playing Fortnite, which doesn't even make sense necessarily. Um, yeah, unless, I, we, we might want to fact check that a little bit, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It, it was, sons it was are fun. playing Fortnite, and then Lacey DaCosta is saying, I take full responsibility as the GM for the DaCosta family. It, it, they're just, they're just nice, wholesome content. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we have a little mini, mini reality series on like the, the Baltimore Ravens. Like it's the reality show of their presence on social media and the things they do. 100%. So that is, that is my piece on all of that. What else you got for me? I have a whole lot of nothing. I think that about does it. And I'm excited to formally get into draft season. We got Super Bowl coming up next week. Pro Bowl, Devin Duvernay, Mark Andrews, Pat Ricard running around. Not that anyone really gives a crap about that. I think Mark Andrews was killing it in dodgeball. I don't know. But uh, Super Bowl next week. And then from there, man, it's going to be free agency and the NFL draft. And I'm excited. It's a fun time of the year. This is the the Madden mode of the year where you're building your offseason, going through the draft. That was always my favorite part of doing franchises in Madden. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a fun time of year right now. It's going to be a fun time of year moving forward. And uh, we thank you guys for listening for our, our little lunch hour pod here today. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you can follow us on social media. Find the show on Twitter at Podcast B-Town. I am at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. Spencer is at Ravens 4 Dummies. That's the number four in the middle there. Go ahead and check out BaltimoreBeatdown.com for all our great written content. And you can find our videos on Instagram at Baltimore underscore Beatdown. I guess that gets us out of here, bud. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you guys again next week. See ya. Arrivederci. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Super Bowl out of me. Need that. Need that.